Hello and welcome to Building Local Power. I'm Stacy Mitchell of the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Today, I'm joined and hosting this episode by my colleague, Marie Donahue. Hey, Marie. Hi, Stacy. Happy to be here. In the years since the Great Recession, many retail chains have been closing their stores. But one striking exception to this trend are dollar stores. Since 2011, the number of dollar stores has grown from 20,000 to nearly 30,000. If you map the location of these stores, it quickly becomes clear that these chains have figured out how to profit from economic insecurity. And they've done so largely under the radar. It might surprise you to learn that dollar stores, most of which sell only a limited selection of processed foods and offer no fresh produce at all, are now feeding more Americans than Whole Foods is. These stores are not merely a byproduct of economic distress. It's becoming increasingly clear that they're also a cause of it. In small towns and urban neighborhoods alike, dollar stores are leading full-service grocery stores to close, and their strategy of saturating urban neighborhoods with multiple outlets is making it impossible for new grocers to take root and grow. Today on the show, our guest is someone who has been on the front lines of battling this trend. Vanessa Hall Harper was recently re-elected to her second term on the Tulsa, Oklahoma City Council. There are more than 50 dollar stores within the city limits of Tulsa, and many are located in Vanessa's neighborhood, a neighborhood that does not have a single full-service grocery store. Thanks in part to Vanessa's work, though, that's about to change. Earlier this year, she passed uh, an ordinance that puts limits on dollar stores, and now there is a new grocery store coming to her neighborhood. So we're really looking forward to having Vanessa on the show and hearing how she's done this. Vanessa, welcome to Building Local Power. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Well, I want to start by asking, why did you decide to run for city council? I was uh, bothered by the fact that I I continued to see my community uh, deteriorate. And so uh, knowing that there was uh, so many things that that are needed in the community, uh, I actually uh, have and my educational background is in political science. Um, and so politics and, and at least the process and how politics work uh, is already, has always been you know, near and dear to my heart. And so just knowing better, uh, knowing uh, how better to get things accomplished on a local level and, and not doing anything about it uh, finally just got to me. So uh, I believe this was a calling for me, uh, my life, and I decided Uh, after several years of trying to put it off, uh, to go ahead and throw my hat in the ring. And I ran for the first time in 2014 uh, for city council for District 1 here in my community, the community that I was born and raised in. Uh, I lost my first election, and then when I ran again in 2016, uh, I won. So that's kind of how it happened. What were some of the issues that were motivating you when you ran? Like, tell us a little bit about your neighborhood. And you, you mentioned sort of seeing these problems that you knew there were solutions to, but not seeing those solutions get implemented. Talk a little bit about what those were. I, I just felt like our, our leadership was not there uh, as, a, as a true voice for the community. Um, one of the uh, continuing problems that, that uh, we've had in, in, in my community is the lack of full-service quality grocery stores. Uh, That is overwhelmingly the number one concern uh, that uh, citizens in my district uh, complained about uh, for years and and still to to this day. Uh, Although we have some, you know, we we have some light at the end of the tunnel, 
but again, I, I would say that's probably number one, uh, the greatest concern for uh, for my community. Uh, and other things as far as just not having not having a real voice, not not uh, having the I guess liberty or or the the permission, if you will, um, to come down to City Hall and to say, look, we have a problem with this. Uh, our parks, parks in our community, are something that's a a, a dying breed. Uh, several of the community centers uh, have been closed, uh, one even demolished. And so that was a great concern to uh, families in my community. And again, decisions being made for the community, but without the community. And mm -hmm. that is not how uh, our American government is, is set up to work. Our government mm -hmm. is set up uh, in a democratic way in which people can have a voice uh, and input on uh, the very decisions that are changing or could possibly change their lives. And so uh, in a nutshell, I wanted to run so that I can not only improve the quality of life uh, for my district, but to give the people a voice so that they would feel like they've been heard and that they have a say in how they live day to day. Kind of curious just to, to have you speak a little bit more about this question of dollar stores in, in the mm -hmm. North Tulsa community um, and to just maybe paint a picture for us a bit about the extent of these stores that you've seen and, and then maybe expand on that to, to some other sort of yes. questions around geography that you have both in your district but in, in the larger urban area as well. Absolutely. So um, we definitely... Uh, have a proliferation or issue of proliferation of these discount dollar stores. Uh, and the only two that exist in my district are Family Dollar and Dollar General. Uh, there are uh, Dollar Trees in other parts of the community, but I believe that uh, Dollar Tree is being marketed towards the more uh, upper-class white community and not the, the black, brown, and poor communities. Um, that's just Really, I don't have any data or anything on that, but that's just what I see. That's how I, I, I perceive um, that marketing to go or that the, the way they market Dollar Tree. But for Family Dollar and Dollar General in my community, um, there there's definitely what I would call proliferation. Um, there's There were nine, now there's 10. Uh, there is currently an 11th store that's being built right outside of the healthy neighborhoods overlay um, that we were able to put into place uh, in our zoning code. They are built in such a way that they are literally on top of each other. So there is no spacing before the healthy neighborhoods overlay. There was no spacing requirements. And so uh, family dollars and dollar generals would li literally build across the street from each other and or next door to one another. Um, and I believe, and after studying and, and doing some research, that when these stores proliferate communities, um, it's particularly low-income communities, it makes it more difficult for full-service grocery stores to survive. Um, and if there aren't any to begin with, it makes it more difficult for them to come in uh, and set up shop and be successful. And so um, knowing a little bit <laughs> about government and how things work. Uh, I knew that as a city government, we have the authority to address these types of issues and concerns that ultimately affect the community, uh, both economically as well as the health, the overall health of a community. 
And so uh, I sought to to do something about it. Um, and that's when I started some research and came upon uh, your website uh, and found a lot of good information. I, I was so thankful for that. I, I was really kind of getting discouraged for a while there until I came across uh, your website. And it, it, it just really gave me uh, some good direction in which to go and to, so that I can use that information and share it with uh, our zoning uh, department and our income department. So that's kind of how it how it got started. I'm really interested to talk uh, about the ordinance and about the process uh, that you led to actually get this passed, because I, I think it was a, my sense was it was a process with a lot of twists and turns and a lot, and some uphill fights. But before we turn to that, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about the geography of dollar stores. You know, Marie made some maps as we were putting together um, the article that's on our website about of dollar stores in Tulsa. And then, and then looked at census tracts, both uh, percentage of poverty and percentage of people who identify as African American or Black. And what was so striking uh, is that there didn't seem to actually be a lot of correlation with income, but there was a really strong correlation with race. And you know, I'm curious about: Do you have insights on why that is? I mean, is that is that your experience in the city? Is that dollar stores are much more closely coordinated? correlated with African-American neighborhoods, and particularly with North Tulsa. And do you have a sense of why it is that they've targeted those communities so much? I I do believe they target the the, uh, black, brown, and poor communities. Um, As far as here in Tulsa, uh, and I'm assuming that it's it's the case in other communities as well, but in Tulsa, we are a very polarized community. uh, And that would stem back to the 1921 race massacre if you're familiar with that, mm-hmm. just how our city uh, came into being. And so when when you, uh, there's a cliche that's used oftentimes in movies uh, and government that says the other side of the tracks. Well, that that is absolutely 100% true when it comes to Tulsa. Uh, we are, our city is literally divided by a set of railroad tracks. And the south side of town is overwhelmingly uh, white and the north side of town is overwhelmingly black. Uh, that is changing somewhat, but it still holds true to this day. So uh, as a, I guess as a company, as a business, uh, when you come to Tulsa, um, it is deeply polarized. And when you are looking for uh, the black community, it is, it is, it is North Tulsa. Uh, of course, you know, there, there's also Hispanic, Native American, and white in the community, but overwhelmingly it is the African-American community. And I would have to say that that is the case because of just how the city um, came into being, you know, before statehood and since. When you came to Tulsa as as a black person, you went to North Tulsa to live, you could not live anywhere else. And so that still uh, holds true today as far as locating, but you know, but integration can, can live other places. But for the most part, North Tulsa is still the African-American side of town. Could you expand a little bit for us, Vanessa, and for our listeners about um, the race massacre that occurred in the 1920s in Tulsa? For those who may not be familiar, I certainly know um, that there's a quite rich history of Black Wall Street, for example, in that community. And if you could just kind of share a little bit more for those who may not be familiar. Absolutely. So O.W. Gurley, who was an African-American who actually came from or, or by way of Greenwood, Mississippi, 
came to, who was a businessman, a successful businessman, came to Tulsa uh, in 1906 uh, before statehood uh, and was able to purchase 40 acres of land uh, in what we now know as to be North Tulsa, but in the part of town where African-Americans could purchase land. And so it grew to be a very uh, successful, very bustling uh, business district, um, which came, became known, I think Booker T. Washington uh, is the gentleman that, that named it Black Wall Street. There were over 600 businesses, uh, successful businesses, uh, homes, uh, home to several millionaires back then, which was very rare. And so uh, in May, end of May of 1921, uh, uh, Dick Rowland, who was a bellhop at a, a hotel downtown, was said to have tried to attack uh, a white woman who actually worked the elevator. We know now that that was not true. Um, in fact, they were, in a, they were involved in a relationship and was later married uh, in Chicago, we found out, you know, just through history. But um, I believe they were, looks like they were caught, maybe kissing or holding hands or something to that effect. And at that point, someone, uh, we don't know who that is, but said that he had raped her or at least attempted to rape her, um, which was obviously not true, but that is all that was needed uh, to start um, what we know now is to be the race massacre of, of 1921. This is something that happened all over the really the southern United States and, and on our in the eastern border. It, it was not new. In fact, uh, the red summer uh, of 1919, um, it happened in, in Rosewood, Florida. It happened in, in Arkansas and Chicago and cities, black cities, black communities throughout the country where normally that was what was said. Uh, a black person, a black man, touched, winked, spoke to any anything to a white woman. And then that gave the city uh, the justification in their minds, at least, to go in and to and to destroy. And so Tulsa is known um, because it was certainly by far the largest black business community in the country that was uh, destroyed. And it was the first time that uh, aerial bombs were thrown from from an airplane. There was a airplane out in Southwest Tulsa, where um, when the the rioters, the the right the white mob was not able to uh, to come in and take over the community because there were people fighting back. They then got in airplanes and dropped bombs, and that's how really how they were able to to um, to win and to destroy, because who could fight against you know aerial bombs? And so that's a really short history of what happened and, and to a very large degree that division still still exists today unfortunately you know certainly working on it uh, to change through our government government the city and the state was very complicit in the massacre as well as the KKK uh, very complicit in the massacre that took place in 1921 and um, you know we're we are approaching the 100 year centennial of the 1921 race massacre. And so we're working to, to acknowledge and to hopefully get find some reconciliation uh, with the truth as we um, try to improve our, our city and our state. Mm-hmm. It seems in, in some ways like the huge number of dollar stores that you have in North Tulsa, I mean, it really connects to this history in the sense that 
um, the absence of grocery stores, you know, for miles in, in your neighborhood is in some ways a legacy of that history of the destruction of the economic base of the community and also maybe is connected to a lack of political power. I wonder, you know, how much these corporations perceive, you know, if they try to open stores in more politically powerful white neighborhoods, that they're going to be, there's going to be pushback. And maybe they feel like that's something they're not going to encounter in black and brown neighborhoods in the same way. But you're, um, your work, I mean, you you have passed the first ordinance, as far as we know, in the country that limits the pro- proliferation of dollar stores. Um, and so your work is very much about bringing political power you know, back to your community, back to this neighborhood. Um, tell us a little bit about what you first proposed as you came into city council and what kind of reception you got. The first step was to put a moratorium in place. Um, there was a store that was uh, in the process I won't even say of being built. It hadn't. Um, we have a, a an authority here called the Tulsa Development Authority, and they came about as a result of urban renewal uh, back in the 70s, and they essentially bought up a lot of properties in depressed areas, which is which was which was mainly North Tulsa, and they're responsible for the de- development of that. And so when I first learned uh, that there was another proposal for a discount dollar store uh, right after I, I came into office, I, I went to the authority and spoke and said, you know, with all due respect, this is not something we need uh, another dollar store in the community. In fact, that same project had been proposed three times prior uh, to the time to the moratorium and it was, it was um, put down by the community. Uh, because the location where that store was initially trying to move to was zoned residential, which was literally a a stone's throw away from a family dollar store that was already in existence. And so the community, the the, the neighbors in that that direct community went to planning, uh, because whenever there's a zoning change, they have to notify the community by law. The community showed up at these meetings and said, we don't want another dollar store. And so, um, again, there were three times when that store was denied. Mm-hmm. First time they waited two years, did it again, waited another couple of years. I guess they were just hoping that some that the community would forget about it. But again, when when a zoning uh, when your zoning is changing by law, the community has to be uh, notified. And so um, after those three uh, failures, they decided to move to another piece of land that was already still in the very in very close proximity, but was already zoned retail or zoned commercial. And so they they started that process. Um, and one of the problems that that I had with that is that the Tulsa Development Authority, which is an authority of the city, did not adequately publish uh, what type of store or what type of business that would be. They left out that it would, was going to be a dollar store. They left hmm. out that it was a dollar general, even though they knew what store, what kind of store it would be. And I believe that that was, that was intentional. And so um, currently, as we sit here today, uh, there is a pending lawsuit uh, against the Tulsa Development Authority. I and four other citizens that live in the area filed a lawsuit uh, claiming violation of the Oklahoma Open Meetings Act uh, against the T- Tulsa Development Authority. 
I would venture to say I'm the first elected official uh, in our city's history to, to sue an authority of the city. But I think these types of things are necessary for, um, just as you were saying earlier, that uh, the community's voice uh, that we uh, is heard, that we uh, understand the political power that we have, and to use that political power. We protested. Uh, we have said from day one, this is not what we want. In fact, I reached out to the, Nash, the, uh, the headquarters, the corporate offices of Dollar General early on and said, look, if this is something you're going to do, why not make it your market concept? So I'm not sure if you're all aware, but Dollar General has a market concept store where where it is a full, you know, it's, it, I won't say very full, but it, it, it offers fresh fruits, meats and vegetables. Um, there there's two uh, in the state of Oklahoma, but out in very rural communities. Um, and I have not seen it myself. I've had other people in the community saying, you know, I was in Okima or, you know, whatever the little town uh, it was and saw that Dollar General had a full service store. Uh, or what they considered a full service store. And so I requested that. If you're going to do this, why don't you make it one of those stores so that you will at least offer some fresh fruits and vegetables and fresh meats? And they basically said no. They said, we don't have to. And they know that they don't because they know in communities that are uh, disenfranchised and communities that do not have options, which I believe is, is their market uh, strategy, they go into communities where they know that there aren't many options. And so they that ensures their their success and, again, makes it, in my opinion, more difficult for full service quality stores to come in uh, later and, and survive and, and, and provide those much needed foods and vegetables. That's kind of how that came about. The store had not broken ground or anything. It was still in the process of transferring the property when I started working on uh, the moratorium. Um, and yes, there was there was a lot of pushback, particularly from the business community. Um, there were calls made, um, not so much to me, but there definitely were calls made to to some of my fellow uh, counselors. Uh, in fact, there were two other city counselors uh, that were on board with me in, initially uh, because they have uh, some low socioeconomic uh, uh, communities as well black, brown, and, and, and poor, uh, and they were facing and are facing the same proliferation issues. But after some calls were made by some very powerful people, uh, they said they're not going to do it. They had they backed down. I didn't. So I, I, I continued the fight. So Vanessa, you're, you're speaking a bit about Dollar General's power, the, the larger business community, and some of the opposition that you, you faced in, in that community and in government. I'm curious how, how you, how the community overcame that opposition to, to successfully pass this oratorium and then some of the later policies that we'll get into a little bit um, mm -hmm. in more depth later. Um, what some of the strategies were, what who was involved in, in building that power more locally. Uh, my tool for everything, but, but particularly on this, uh, in this effort, is transparency. Everything that I, that I do, everything that I find out, uh, every, every steps that we are taking, I, I make I make it public. I make it known to the community and I encourage and, and, and demand, in fact, for the community to come out and have their voices heard. Uh, education, letting them know. I can't tell you how many uh, things I've printed off of the Institute for, for Local Self-Reliance, sharing this information about, you know, formula-based businesses and restrictions and so forth. 
to say there is there are examples. Uh, there is information out there that we can take and and implement in our own communities to demand better. Um, and unless the people demand better, we can't expect better. And so um, transparency is is my greatest tool. I would have to say, uh, and and that empowers uh, people to speak up and say no. You know, most people probably don't understand proliferation. You know, when I've had uh, my town hall meetings and I'll ask, the problem is proliferation. Does everyone know what that means? Most did not. A lot did, but a lot didn't either. And unbalanced development. You know, and so we talk about those things and we're raising it, we're raising awareness around these issues so that you can open the eyes of those that don't see what's what's taking place around them. And for a lot of people, they said, you know what? I never thought about it that way, but you're right, you're right. You know, we have these stores and that's all that we are are receiving. You have this one particular company or developer who who was building this Dollar General in North Tulsa, but you go a half a mile to the to downtown south and they're building this huge, beautiful, you know, development of flats or apartments, multi-housing as well in retail uh, on, on the bottom in the on the first floor of the buildings. And my question is, why can't we receive some of those same types of developments. And if we continue to just accept family dollars and dollar generals, if that's all we receive, then we're not going to get anything better. We have to make our voices heard and we have to demand better. And so that was uh, a lot, to a large degree a uh, part of this process and saying no to this, but and this is what we want. As I said, there were people very powerful. You know, when I say powerful people, you're talking about developers, you're talking about chambers of commerce, you mm-hmm. know, all the same key players that I'm sure that are um, making uh, development decisions in any other city who were against this. Um, I got some, you know, some pretty nasty, <laughs> pretty <laughs> nasty uh, uh, emails and, and, and comments. Uh, but, you know, I, I stood the course and I, and I stood the course with my community and saying no, and we're not going to accept anything less. You're listening to Vanessa Hall Harper, City Council member in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm Stacy Mitchell with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. We'll be right back after a short break. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a donation to the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. As you may have noticed, we don't have any ads on this show, but we do depend on your financial support. Donations not only underwrite this podcast, but they're an important source of funding for our work uh, and all of the technical assistance and help that we provide to communities across the country. Uh, so please take a moment to go to ILSR.org donate. That's ILSR.org donate. And if making a donation isn't something that you can do, please consider helping us in other ways. You can share this podcast with your friends, uh, follow us on social media, and help make other people aware of the resources and the work that we do. Thanks so much. And so you passed this six-month moratorium and then went on to devise an an ordinance that's a a kind of dispersal ordinance. It limits the ability of dollar stores, as I understand it, to locate within a mile of an existing dollar store. So it basically says, you know, we're not going to accept this kind of saturation um, because that saturation is what's preventing 
grocery stores from being able to come in. They can't find any room in a market that's so uh, got so many dollar stores kind of uh, sort of squeezing out room for for other options. One of the, one of the things, as I understand it, that you you know, the the opposition was you know as you noted from developers and the Chamber of Commerce and sort of this sense of like business ought to be able to just do it at once. Um, but it also was coming from within City Hall, right? I mean, it wasn't just other other city councilors, but also just a reluctance on the part maybe of city agencies to exercise zoning authority in this way. Is, is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, initially, uh, the pl- our planning department um, felt like that's not something that, that, that should be done. Uh, I was even told that it's illegal. Uh, that we are we're concerned about lawsuits, you know, all the all the 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 reasons not to do something, um, and and what I what I consider fear tactics, um, rather than than addressing the the need. And so, absolutely, I I, end, I eventually had to go to the mayor, um, because as I was reaching out to department heads in our in our form of government, uh, the department heads, whether it's the planning department, the parks department, the water department, whatever the case may be, answers directly to our mayor. They don't answer to city council. And so I was finding, uh, I was experiencing roadblocks. You know, I was trying to schedule meetings to get this information out, to share the information that I had re- had found in my research, asking them to look as they are the experts in zoning. Uh, that's not my area of expertise by any stretch, but I just kept getting, you know, roadblocks or, or, or the door shut or, you know, it just was not being taken seriously uh, when it comes to our planning department or even our legal department was not taking it seriously. So I, I went to the mayor and I said, look, I need your help. Uh, our mayor actually came into office with me. He, he had previously been a city councilor for about eight years and he ran for office. So we actually won our elections at the same time. And um, and he ran on a platform of health and, 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 and improving community um, and, and, and putting down uh, the racial uh, uh, barriers that, that are so strong in Tulsa. I went to him and told him, I need your help. This, this is yet another opportunity that, that the city, our community, the, the, uh, the poor community, black community has gone to the city uh, for help. And, and so many times in, in the past, we've had the door closed in our face. Um, and so I, I appealed to him uh, at that level. And he said, okay, he made calls to the people again that answered to him, the legal department and the planning department and said, you all need to work on this. And so some more work started uh, to be done with that directive. And again, (laughs) the first meeting didn't go as well as I had hoped because one of the assignments were to go out and find other examples of policies where uh, we, where the city has been able to to address these issues, proliferation, unbalanced development, et cetera, you know, address the issue and improve quality of life. And we've had those here in the city, where mm-hmm. when it comes to moratoriums and zoning code changes, but it always related more so to to retail. You know, we want we want we don't want any more parking here downtown in other affluent communities in the city. Um, but when it came to Tulsa. North Tulsa, that that wasn't a priority. It it took us a while, but we 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 started making some progress. Again, I shared a lot of information from the Institute for for Local Self Reliance, 
with our legal department and our planning department and said, the mayor said, figure it out, do something. If it's unique to Tulsa, if it's unique to this country, figure something out that's going to work for us. And uh, they, they did. So I started working with Susan Miller, who's actually in NCOG, and she started, uh, she did some research and came up with what's called a healthy neighborhoods overlay uh, and working with some area sector plans that already existed uh, and using those sector plan boundaries to incorporate the healthy neighborhoods overlay to address some of the issues that we had raised as a community. Thanks, Vanessa. I am curious just um, to, to draw on that success a bit about the, mm-hmm. the healthy neighborhood ordinance now that it, it was passed earlier this year and mm-hmm. um, has been incorporated into the zoning code, as you'd mentioned, um, that we have understood that you've also been actively working on um, on developing some other grocery store options and, and really yes. advocating for that. Curious just to have you expand a little bit more about, about that store, some of the details of it, sort of why, yes. why you think it's important for North Tulsa. Oh, yes, absolutely important. Um, I actually, uh, actually <laughs> the day after I won the election, uh, I reached out to uh, TEDC, which is the Tulsa Economic Development Corporation. Um, there was a, a young lady named Rose Washington who's the executive director, and I reached out to her for help. I said, look, we need a grocery store in my community. She's very familiar with my community, and she said, okay, let's let's see what we can do. Um, there were federal uh, dollars that were available called the OASIS grant, and it's through CDBG, uh, Community Development Block Grants, and she uh, applied for uh, the OASIS grant, which is specific specifically addresses food insecurity in food deserts. She applied for it and received it, and that was awesome. It was a $1.5 million grant. And so with that and some other resources that she uh, has uh, available or at least access to, um, reached out to uh, a local grocer who who was going to come in and and be the operator of the store. And so the the funds that uh, we received from the CDBG will be used uh, to to build a store, and that's not going to cover it all, but it's going to cover a, a, a huge hunk of it, um, so that um, you know we can have a full service quality quality store uh, in the in the in the community directly in the community. I'm hoping that that's the first of more. I'm easily this my community can accommodate two maybe even three grocery stores, but I think if we start with one, you know that'll give us some hope. Hopefully, that'll get, make other operators notice that, hey, we, you can survive here. You, there's a need for full-service quality groceries, and, and it would be a, a, good, um, a good bet uh, to come here as a grocer and, and open up a grocery store and, and survive. And so that's kind of where we are. Um, I, I actually need to talk to some, uh, get an update on, on that process, but we have an a, a architect. That have been that has been selected that's going to do the architecture for the for the building and so now we are uh, I think the next step is to um, is to meet with architect and and work with the community in the development and the design of the store I'm excited about that because one thing I did want is the community to be involved as much as possible in every aspect of us addressing our food security issue in our community mm-hmm. I think that empowers people. Um, and it and it lets pe- the community citizens know that you know I have a say, I have a voice, and I have power 
And if there's something that we need uh, to improve the quality in our communities that will improve the quality of life, then I can I can participate in that and I can demand uh, that these things happen. And so uh, I'm excited about that. I'm, I'm waiting for the call to say, look, we can start community meetings uh, on what we want our grocery store to look like. That's 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 when I'll probably turn some back backflips. <laughs> oh, that's great to hear, Vanessa. Well, that's really wonderful news. Um, yeah, I guess just as a as a last question, I you know I'm curious, just reflecting on you know this two year process that you've been through um, in trying to control the proliferation of dollar stores, the the you know fight that you had to go through to get this piece of legislation through, um, you know, marshalling the community really to overcome. Uh, even a sense on the part of local government that there was was not the authority to do exactly what they had the authority to do. And now this new grocery store um, coming in with a lot of community input. I'm curious, just stepping back from all of that, if you feel like this marks a, a kind of new era in inclusion uh, for Tulsa's African-American community you know, in local politics and having some power over the future. I do. I, I, I believe that strongly. Um, I believe we have a lot of work to do, but I do think it uh, we have taken a first step uh, in, in reconciliation, uh, which is something we need uh, a great deal of here in Tulsa. Um, but what we want is, is, is honesty. We want honest reconciliation. Uh, we just don't want words on a page. Um, just to give you an example of a, another um, issue in our community that was, you know, some that that has racially divided this community. There was a street in our community that's named, was named Cincinnati. Well, the previous uh, city councilor uh, asked for that name, that street's one of our main streets to be named um, Martin Luther King Boulevard. There was a lot of drawback to that in the community because the street runs from north to the other side of town, uh, South Tulsa. And obviously a lot of people in South Tulsa did not want that name change. And so um, the city agreed to go ahead and change it, but it stops at the railroad tracks. It stops at the dividing line, the black community and the white community. And so things like that that are still happening today is a reminder of just how much work we need to do. This work, I believe, as you said, it, it is at least, it is a step. It is a step and, and I'm just committed and I wanna keep my community engaged and committed to, uh, to improving it because without the work and without the dedication of citizens and of elected officials who's willing to put their head out there uh, with the possibility of it getting chopped off, uh, we're not going to to have um, reconciliation. We're not going to be the community we all want to be. Um, there's a saying here, our regional chamber constantly calls this one Tulsa. Well, we're one Tulsa. We're one, and I've said uh, publicly in interviews and in, in, in public places that no, we're not. We're not one Tulsa yet. Uh, but there are things that we can do to become one Tulsa. And in this fight uh, for getting, making this moratorium, putting this moratorium into place uh, is just one, one step or one way in which we are uh, fighting and making progress. You know, there was some very discouraging times during this process because it just did not make sense for some of the reasons of, of why people were saying, no, this is, you know, we don't, you don't, we don't want this for you uh, because the people that were saying no, don't live in the community, but yet still wanted to take the position of, of the powerful and say, no, this is not something we need. It's it's not good business, free market. You know, I'm sure you've heard all of the 
the, the excuses. And, and it was discouraging it for a while, but we were able to, um, to overcome that. Um, and, and a lot of the reason for that is because we were speaking truth to power and we were saying that you all are putting profits over people and, and that's not right. And we, and we hollered it, we screamed it from the rooftops. We, we were not quiet with it, we protested. And a lot of people are turned off by those tactics, but they work. We've had some success, we've got a lot more work to do. This is one, one success we can say we were able to overcome and, and hopefully we can use this as an example for uh, future work that we must do. Vanessa, thank you so much for joining us today and, and sharing the work that you're doing in Tulsa. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. And you guys are a, huge, a great resource. And I've been getting calls from other people in New Orleans and other cities, and I tell them, go on this website. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this information and the, and the work that you all do and provide uh, is, is, I mean, it, it, you, can't, you can't put a price to it. And so I appreciate uh, the Institute for Local Self-Reliance a great deal. Oh, well, that's great. Thank you so much for saying that. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Building Local Power. You can find links to what we discussed today by going to our website, ilsr.org, and clicking on the show page for this episode. That's ilsr.org. We'll be sure to include a link on that page to Marie's new article about dollar stores where you can find out more about what Tulsa has done and more about how dollar stores are impacting local economies across the country. This show is produced by Lisa Gonzalez, Zach Fried, and Heba Murray. Our theme music is Funk Interlude by Dysfunction Al. For the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, I'm Stacey Mitchell. I hope you'll join us again in two weeks for the next episode of Building Local Power.